Welcome to Forcing Function Hour, a conversation series exploring the boundaries of peak performance. Join me, Chris Sparks, as I interview elite performers to reveal principles, systems, and strategies for achieving a competitive edge in business. If you are an executive or investor ready to take yourself to the next level, download my workbook at experimentwithoutlimits.com. For all episodes and show notes, go to forcingfunctionhour.com. Hey guys, uh, welcome. Uh, very excited to uh, have you for the inaugural first uh, lunch hour. And you know what a guest to uh, begin with. Um, I've been really excited to have this conversation with Steve. Um, I mean, many of you might know him, but uh, just in case, I'm going to give a, give a quick introduction. Uh, so Steve, in my opinion, is one of the most respected, uh, helpful, and just downright great people in the New York tech ecosystem. Um, he's been in the venture game for about a decade now, working at RRE, Lair Hipparau, Primary, and now he manages his own seed fund. And... Most interesting to me, um, you know, Steve is now an executive coach. Um, he works with founders and executives to help them become leaders. And you know, listening to Steve talk about coaching and how mission-driven he is made me feel really proud to be a coach and you know, really honored to have the opportunity to talk to him and hear about some of the things he's learned in the trenches. Um, obviously, given the timing of this call, uh, we want to keep this very event-driven. What's useful for you guys right now? Um, it's a pretty turbulent time, especially for small business owners. And so we're definitely going to be talking about you know, coronavirus and how it's affecting your business, what you can be doing to set yourself up, as well as you know, what you can do to help yourself become a leader, um, whether that's you know, finding the right coach or, you know, developing yourself, what, what that takes. Um, so, Steve, before, you know, before we jump in, you know, anything you'd like to say about yourself? Anything that's top of mind right now? Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me, Chris. I've uh, been looking forward to it. It's too bad we can do it in person, uh, but hopefully we'll be able to uh, in, in, a, in a month or two. Um, Where's a good place to start? Well, I've I've been in technology my whole career. I'm probably dating myself at this point, but I spent nearly the first nine years, eight to nine years of my career working for a variety of organizations as an operator. First, uh, spent a first chunk of time at Microsoft, and then uh, at the New England Patriots slash the Kraft Group. They own and operate the Patriots up in Boston, and then. Uh, a number of startups, uh, most notably Turntable FM, uh, where I was effectively the first hire, uh, first business hire there. So, you know, there's a team of like four or five of us and uh, helped run the business there. And then um, about a decade ago, I became a professional seed investor, as Chris mentioned, first at Lair Hippo here in, in the city. And then I uh, spent about four years as a principal and partner at RRE Ventures, which is one of New York's most, uh, I guess, storied and pioneering venture capital funds. And uh, most recently, I was at Primary, though it was a pretty short stint because I ultimately decided that I wanted to spend a lot more of my time behaving and, and acting more like a coach and an advisor to startups and founders rather than being an institutional investor slash board member. 
Um, it just wasn't the role that I wanted to play. And so, you know, I became a coach about two and a half years ago when I left RRE Ventures and I haven't looked back since. So that that's, you know, I, there, there's a lot more detail embedded in that that quick overview. But I, I think for now, given the time, that's that's a good place to start. Sure. Um, you know, I would love to know who, who do you work with? Um, that could be, you know, what type of companies that you like to invest in or, you know, founders that you like to work with as a coach, you know, what are you looking for? Yeah. So, um, it's a good question. I think they're, they're slightly related, but a little bit different. Um, I would say I, I have a boutique leadership development company in New York called high output. Um, and I, Typically, at any given time, I'll be I'll work with six to eight clients, so pretty pretty small set of of founders that I'll work with on the coaching side. Oftentimes, there's sort of like three main engagements. Sort of the first is one-on-one -on -one coaching. I also am trained in giving 360 reviews. So you talked about how leader earlier how leaders can develop themselves, and so the 360 review is a really effective tool to do that. And then finally, I've facilitated and host a variety of workshops. I actually, on the, most of those workshops, I, I actually don't like working by myself. I'm, I'm a big believer in collaboration. It's one of my core values. And so I tend to partner with other coaches to deliver a range of workshops, everything from, say, um, you know, everything from mission, vision, values, all the way through, you know, strategic planning sessions to a number of other areas. And so... For my specific coaching clients, you know, I, there, there's definitely a, uh, you know, definitely a set of things that I look for. Um, you know, I, I think the first is um, definitely like a, an ambition to, to build something great. And, you know, as I like to say, my, my mission is to uh, help founders bring their wildest visions to life. And so I, I love wild visions and, and ambitious ideas. And so I think that's, that's definitely the first one that I, that I tend to look for. I would say the others that are really important is a desire uh, for, um, for personal growth and just a history of personal growth. That doesn't mean they, they have to, or, or you have to be the most, um, you know, personally de development oriented person, but certainly someone that's committed to excellence and growing. I think self-awareness is is also really important. Someone that's willing to take a look in the mirror and and, and figure out how they how they, how how you can grow. And so that's that's also something that that I tend to look for. And then I think there are a few others, which is um, certainly integrity. Is this is this someone who I believe is is a good human, and someone that I I believe is honest and and just generally. Uh, has has a good compass and then I'd say the last is for me which is my own criteria which is this someone that I believe in and and want to root for and support on their entrepreneurial journey as it relates to investing I think there's you know a lot of similar qualities that that I look for in an investment um, I, I as Chris mentioned I, I operate a pretty small uh, angel fund that I recently closed. It's about $5 million. And um, the way that I, I sort of characterize my investing is more as, um, you know, there, there are a lot of advisors out there that take equity for free. 
And so the way that I tend to characterize it is think of me as an advisor that rather than getting free equity, I tend to um, I tend to, to invest a small amount. So around usually a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand dollars, often at the seed or pre-seed and seed stage. Occasionally, I'll invest uh, in a Series A opportunity if I love the founder and the opportunity. Um, but to me, you know, I've always predominantly been a founder first investor, although I will be frank and say that the market opportunity is equally as important to me. So like a good example is a few weeks ago, a founder that I've wanted to work with for a really long time approached me. And um, this person's truly exceptional. We've tried to work together in the past uh, in his previous company. And ultimately, I didn't love the idea. And so I just said to him, like, look, I, you know, this is really hard because I love you. But like, so, so to me, the, 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 the founder and the idea, but to me that the attributes that I look for uh, in founders and certainly value is certainly um, those that are customer centric, that are like deeply, deeply focused on the customer, which, you know, then I think sort of leads to an obsession about product and really serving whatever the needs um, or the, the experience that they want to deliver. And so customer centricity uh, having a very sharp f- product on, uh, on or focus on the product. I like to say I look for we leaders. So I, I tend to get turned off when I, when I hear founders say we a lot, or sorry, when I say I or me a lot. Um, you know, I love founders that, you know, communicate as they're, they're building something bigger than our, than themselves and, and sort of a bigger, you know, they're, they're, they're not just creating a company for themselves, but a larger movement. And then there are sort of three other attributes that I look for, some demonstrated tenacity and grit. Um, I think that's really important, whether it's, you know, someone coming from another part of the world and immigrating to America or not taking a salary or a large salary for a long period of time and to, to bring their vision to life or just, you know, some, some demonstrated moment in their life where they've had to overcome adversity. And then I think the last two, which I've touched on a little bit is, you know, some self-awareness and then, um, you know, a lifelong learner. So th- those are really the attributes that I look for in a founder. And then as it relates to the market opportunity, I like to say that there are, uh, I, I do look at impact and I don't say impact is like, you know, all of us sitting around a uh, campfire and singing Kumbaya and like just for the social impact look at the end of the day, I'm a capitalist, but I sort of view um, impact across three vectors. The first is uh, impact, uh, social impact. So yeah, that could be like real demonstrated social good, which I think we're going to see a lot more of that, especially right now. Um, I think the second is sector specific impact. So having a very unique view about a specific industry. And then the third is technological impact. And so like an example of that is a company that I've invested in in the past is Boom Supersonic. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to put a supersonic airplane in the sky and to me, that's that that that's a pretty audacious and big goal. That doesn't mean, you know, I'd say that out of a percentage of the kinds of the companies I invest in, those kind of large moonshots is probably ten to twenty percent. So I'm not just filling the 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 company, my portfolio, uh, or my community with entrepreneurs that are built that are taking moonshots. But I, I love companies that are 
you know, trying to really push the envelope forward. And so that's basically what I, I look for. Did I answer your question, Chris? <laughs> that much and more. I loved it. Uh, and a common theme that, that came up as far as who you like to work with is someone who has a track record of continuous improvement of overcoming. I know personal growth is, is really big for you that you've, you've gone you know, a long way as far as investing in your own personal development um, for, you know, founder and executive, I mean, especially today as there's a lot of uncertainty who wants to develop their own skills as a leader. How do, how do you recommend they go about doing that? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think it's, it's a good, it's a great question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to answer it. And my first answer is going to be a cop out, um, which is, in, in some ways, I'm, I'm not wearing my investor hat here, I'm wearing my coaching hat. Whereas I think everyone is very different, right? And we all have different needs and values and, and lived experiences. And so for me to just give like a one size fits all approach to how to go and develop. I, it, it, it's such a personal thing. Now that said, um, you know, for me, I, I always, I, I sort of look at it in two ways. The first is um, what am I already really good at and how do I double down and develop that expertise? And so there, there's a form of um, organizational development called Appreciative Inquiry, which I'm a huge fan of, David Copperwriter out of Case Western, which is like, you know, he, he sort of looks at it more from an organizational perspective, but I think it can absolutely be applied to the individual level, which is, you know, what are the things that I'm inherently great at? And then how can I continue to develop those? So rather than seeing like, what are all my weaknesses? It's like, how do I really double down and focus on the things that I'm great at? Um, and really build that sort of expertise and mastery over time. So I think that's sort of one aspect of it, which is not to focus on where am I deficient, but like what am I really great at and how can I really start to flex those muscles even more? And then on the other side, you know, there certainly there is areas of development. And, um, you know, for me, I think it's a reason why I'm such a big fan of the 360 review. You know, I was, I was certified and trained in a, in a, in a technique and a methodology called the leadership circle profile. There's a bunch of them. Um, but the, the whole idea behind this is um, helping others, uh, helping, helping you see your blind spots through the eyes and feedback of others. And so for me, I actually wrote about it on my blog. I'd encourage you to check it out. It, it's at schlaff.me slash thoughts. And um, I probably wrote this back in October or early November. But the whole idea behind it is, um, you know, seeing where there are opportunities for development. And I won't go into, uh, into details around the leadership circle profile, um, but basically it's, there, there's, there's like 28 different dimensions of leadership. And uh, the way that I viewed that opportunity was that there were a few that I ultimately wanted to flex on in terms of areas that I could focus. And then I went and created a development plan, which is like, this is what I'm going to, how I'm going to focus on the next one, two, three months, and then see how I, I make progress on those. Like one of them was definitely around focus and saying no. And I've worked very hard with my coach 
on on those which is like reducing people pleasing and more being more missioned aligned towards the things that I, you know i want to bring into the world and so you know i would say that always getting feedback that doesn't mean all the feedback you should you should always and then i would say like the point that i was going to make is there's almost like a third lens which is like if you think the first lens is what are my strengths how do i double down on those second is what are some areas of development based on some feedback that i've gotten almost like looking in the mirror and then i think there's a third which is just like what am i naturally pulled towards like you know based on um where i am in my life and what i value and what i need and so for me i was i was pulled to coaching um and you know i really push myself no i i didn't have to push myself because i inevitably like i instinctively wanted to go in that direction but like listen to that voice inside of you that's encouraging you to start to explore and it doesn't need to mean that you go and like become an expert overnight but like let me give you an example like appreciative inquiry right like for me, it was an area that I'm really fascinated in because I'm, I spent a lot of time thinking about leadership and how companies evolve over time. And I just started going online and reading as much as I could about it. And there's a, and so I just follow my my inner curiosity and desire to learn and grow and, you know, see where it goes. So I, did that answer your question? Yeah, it's something I think about a lot that the speed of improvement is proportional to the tightness of feedback loops. And there's so many unknown unknowns, right? What what we're best at, what our blind spots are, and really key to solicit feedback from others in a form that makes them feel safe to give us things that might be hard to hear, but that we need to hear. Um, but also, what are the things that we're not paying attention to, but should? And, you know, you'd mentioned that you have a coach and that you have a lot of these conversations as well. I know for me that that's been instrumental to illuminate my own blind spots. Um, when we were at a, a breakfast together about a month ago, someone had asked you, you know, how do I find the right coach? Um, I think we're both convinced to that, that there is, it's very, very important for someone to you know, shine a mirror to, you know, cast a light on those invalidated assumptions that we have. But it's hard to know, and it can be scary to reveal ourselves to someone who we don't know if they are the right fit. And I thought you gave one of the best answers that I've ever heard as far as, you know, what is fit and how that's determined. So I would love to hear, yeah. you know, if you'd want to share a little bit about how do you find someone who's the right fit for you? Sure. Can I actually make one last point related to the last question and then we can dive into talking about fit? Yeah, of course. So I, you know, I, I forget who said this, but someone once said, if you, if you want to look at what you value, um, just look at your calendar, right. And, and how you spend your time. And um, to me, I think looking at our calendars always shed a light on what we actually value and how we want to spend our time. And so that's another thing related to someone's development is whenever I kick off a, a, a relationship and a partnership with a founder, I would say like, let's open up your calendar. Um, you know, let's, let's see how your days are structured and what you're prioritizing. And so I would encourage all of you that are listening also to do the same because the reality, it's like, we're all busy. We're all trying to do a, a million things. Um, but if we're not actually making the time to, to like develop ourselves, um, then it's, we're not, we're never going to evolve. 
you know, I've ultimately become like a student of, and by, by student, I mean like a novice, like just scratching the surface and adult development theory, which I believe is arguably like one of the most important fields that I don't, I personally don't believe that it's permeated, but like none of us are static. We're, we're all like, we, we have the capabilities to change and um, it's just like how, how much do we want to change and where do we want to invest our time and how, how do we want to grow? And so, you know, for me, I, I believe that all of us, you know, and that, I think that's going to be one of the differences between our generation for, for those that are, you know, millennials and those in our parents is that, you know, we're not done growing and that, you know, lifelong learning is really a thing and that, instead of having one or two careers like our parents, you know, I, I actually think, you know, our generation are going to have a lot of different careers and paths. And, and so that's why really tuning into develop your own development, I believe is, is a huge investment and a good investment in your time and energy. So I'll, I'll, I'll get off my horse now, but I did, I thought it was important to, to, to mention that now to transition into the other question you were asking, Chris, um, about how do you find a coach? Uh, again, I, I have a great uh, post about this. Actually, your question at, uh, or the entrepreneur's question at that breakfast um, inspired me to go and create a post. And because um, I'm a little crazy and I'm type A, I actually am in the process of putting the finishing touches on like a 90 sl uh, page slide deck on helping uh, entrepreneurs um, find a coach. And so um, you know, it basically will lay out the entire process, even it goes so far to like define what a coach is, what are the various skills and experiences that a coach should have, um, you know, what's the difference between coaching and therapy, um, how to actually go and think about finding a coach. I actually highlight a lot of coaches in this guide. And so that's going to sh probably ship in the next 24 to 48 hours. So I encourage you to all follow me on Twitter if you're not. And, um, and you can, uh, that, that will be live. But to answer Chris's question directly, you know, I think there are a number of variables that go into, um, to determining fit with a coach. And it, this is like, a, as I like to say, it's a very personal decision. You know, we are all extremely different. And so, um, you know, I think like the, the, the sort of the key filters that I always encourage people to think about is the first is um, the context of the situation, right? Does the, does the coach have some familiarity with my situation? That doesn't mean they need to be an expert, but, you know, that they at least can understand the basics of my situation and the language. Um, the other is the experience, right? What, what, what experience does the coach have and how is it uh, relevant and ample, right? Based on the, my situation. The third is philosophy, right? Do, does the coach, does the coach's philosophy and values resonate with me, right? As I, as I like to say, everyone should talk with three or four coaches. They're just based on those three attributes alone, you're going to get a full spectrum, Right. The, the third, the fourth point is around developing an expertise. You know, I specifically coach early stage founders, predominantly post pre-seed round um, to usually about series B, series C, and then I drop off. 
right? There are other coaches that love working with leaders that have massive organizations. You know, I think if a company's you know larger than 150 to 200, usually, you know, I I I, I sort of doesn't mean that I don't have any clients in that bucket. Like I I certainly do, but you know, I tend to go early stage. So that specialty is really important. You know, I would always encourage you that a red flag is if you talk to a coach and they don't, they're not very crisp and clear with exactly who they serve. Um, the, the, the other is uh, connection. Like, is this someone that you feel incredibly connected to energetically, right? Is this, you know, is this someone who you really want to you know, spend a lot of time with and that you're drawn to each other. And, and, you know, I hate using this analogy, but in some ways I, I sort of view it similar to finding a partner is like, is this someone who I, I just feel like we're on the same wavelength and somewhat related to that is, do I feel tr safe and trust? Uh, do I trust and do I feel safe with this person? Like, can I really open up to them about what's going on? so that we can like get underneath the surface and really, you know, work on the juicy stuff. And then I think there are a few others that I think are less, um, less that I would say like, like deep core stuff and more like, you know, proximity. Do you want to work with someone face to face or is it okay doing it over zoom or on the phone? You know, my, my coach is and she's in South Carolina. Um, she's been coaching for 25 plus years. Um, you know, she, for this point in my, in my journey, like her skill set is very specific where I was, I'm not just getting coached by her, but she's also mentoring me. And so like, for me, prox like I valued other things above proximity, but so some people having, having a coach in person is really important. And then the last two I would say is cost. Um, you know, does this, does it fit within my budget? And is it, is it, is this something I can, I can uh, afford. And then the last is gender. Do I prefer to work with a man or woman? And like, again, I should note that this is, this list is by no means exhaustive, but like, hopefully it should provide a little bit of insight into how you can assess fit. And that this is again, super highly personal decision. So a coach who's a good fit for me might not be a good fit for you, right? Like my coach, Elizabeth, I, I bet like for her, she's for, for, maybe half of you, if not more, she's probably not the right fit. And so that's, you know, a big reason why it's important to get referrals and talk with a variety of, of coaches in your, in your process. And like I taught, I actually talked about this example in, um, in the blog post that I wrote, but a few months ago, I was talking to a founder who recently closed a seed round and he, you know, he, he went above and beyond, but I think he interviewed something like six or eight coaches and he narrowed the field down to myself and, and one other coach. And he called me up and said, you know, Steve, I ended up going with this other coach because they have specific to industry and domain expertise in the, in the, and, you know, for him, that experience and context was super important and he really highly valued that. Um, and honestly, like I, I view coaching as a game of abundance not a game of scarcity. I, I, when I walk around New York, um, you know, I actually see everybody as, as a potential client. So, and I, you know, and at any given time I have up to eight slots um, to partner with founders. And so, you know, for him, I was actually genuinely happy because he had found someone that was a great fit for him. Um, and I, I, I want that for everybody. And so 
um, you know, at the end of the day, like coaching is such a huge investment in time, energy, resources, right? And and so ensuring that fit is there is just really important. So that's I'll I'll, I'll shut up, but that's that's uh, that's the 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 gist of it. I love that framing of relationships as investments, right? And what you said about finding the right coach extends to finding the right co-founder or making the right hire or even just a friendship in knowing what qualities are important to you, what you're looking for, and really identifying, you know, is this person a fit with the qualities that are important to me? and to be relentless in seeking out the people who are a fit, but at the same time coming in with the perspective that everyone you meet is a potential client, is a potential customer, is a potential friend, and being open to anyone to see if they might be a fit. Um, so we're right exactly at the halfway mark. I'm gonna ask one more, and I'm gonna hand it off to audience for some Q&A. Um, so if anyone has a question, um, there's a button at the bottom. You can raise your hand and I'll, uh, and I'll unmute you and allow you to ask your question. Um, so while you guys are getting up the courage, I know everyone loves to be the first one to ask. Um, I'm going to kind of transition to current events a little bit. So I think you were maybe the person who helped me realize that the next couple months were going to be difficult ones. Um, I, you know, about, you know, two to three weeks ago, when we were planning hosting this here person in, in New York, I was still very much in the camp of, you know, everyone is overreacting to the news. Um, you know, it's, it's very easy to be a bear on things. It's very easy to point to things that aren't going wrong. But historically, everything has been, you know, has blown over. And especially for the last, you know, decade or so, it's been very quiet. But um, I think, you know, thanks to you and then, you know, going down my own rabbit hole, realizing that, you know, we are in the midst of history right now. The, the classic, mm -hmm. some, some weeks, years happen. And the days have been very long. And my conversations with founders have taken a very different turn where we're talk, having a lot of discussions around, you know, runway and reducing burn and who is essential on the team, these types of very difficult questions as far as how can, how can companies be in a position to survive this um, no matter what comes. And I know, you know, both operationally and being in the trenches as an investor, you know, when companies are going through tough times, you have a lot of personal experience with this. And, you know, I would love to know, you know, how should, how should executives be thinking about setting their companies up for the next couple of months? Yeah, again, I, I think it's, it, it's, it's hard to give a canned answer because, um, um, it's, it's, um, it's unprecedented times. Um, pretty much, Every so so I'm sort of let me let me sort of just set the context. So I've been talking with a lot of investors, and I've also been doing a lot of coaching. So I think the perspective that I have is actually coming from both like the entrepreneur lens. Also, I should say my wife is a founder. She runs a company with north of fifty employees. So I'm also 
you know, seeing the way that she's leading her company um, today. And so, uh, and, and through this, so I would say like, you know, I think the investor view, right, is, uh, and I'll start with that, is one that, you know, if you look at sort of Twitter and the general sentiment, everyone's like, we're open for business, like forging ahead, don't like, like term sheet, we're issuing term sheets, all this stuff. And, you know, I think that that attitude has been hampered a little bit in the last week or so. I'm just going to be completely honest. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the creditors, specifically like the venture debt lenders, like Silicon Valley Bank and some of these others, they're also now tightening big time. And so I think we're in a period where, you know, funds are, are assessing where their portfolio is truly and really getting like a super detailed snapshot on the health of their portfolio, specifically from a cash position, you know, and I think like wearing the investor hat, it's how do I ensure that the company can survive for a minimum of 12 months without having to raise any additional capital. And then, you know, ideally 18 months to be able to ride whatever we're about to experience through. So, you know, like I definitely sense that I, the, the good news in all of this to the audience, there has been records amount of record amount of venture capital raised. And for a lot of firms, there's a lot of money on the sidelines, um, which I think is a, both a good thing and a bad thing, because if people start to tighten, I think you're going to start to see some bad behavior where founders or investors are going to know that the pendulum, you know, the pendulum has been in the founder's favor for nearly the last decade, right? Like you can look at it, round sizes are going up, valuations are going up, like that's going to swing back into the investor favor now. And so, um, you know, it's just recognizing that. And it's just, these are realities of, I think of the situation, unfortunately. And so, um, you know, I think, if, if you've already raised money, like I think getting alignment with your investors is going to be really important. And if you already haven't like running the numbers to figure out, you know, what, what do we need to do in order to get 12 to 18 months of runway? Um, no matter what, because, you know, I think anybody in, um, that without unreal traction or in a, hot space like future of work or whatever work for if you're if you're a video streaming app platform or you know remote work or you know may, maybe you can get it done but what i'm hearing is everyone's like let's go out, go back to your existing investors raise as as much as you can or enough to be able to survive this this winter that we're about to enter into so um so that's you know that's a combination on the investor side you know on the on the founder side, you know the, the the range of conversations that I've experienced in the last ten days, it's unlike anything I've, I've I've heard certainly in the last decade. You know, I was I was uh, I was um, exposed to the financial crisis, but you know the the scale and the size of the startup ecosystem today relative to them was it's like night and day. It's like orders of magnitude larger now, and so. You know, I think it's a lot of it is around, and I know this is easier said than done, but a lot of self-care. Um, you know, I think over-communicating with, with your executive team and, 
your investors is a good thing right now. And really, um, if, if, if you have a finance team, like really leaning on them to run the numbers and the different scenarios so that you truly understand all of the levers that are at your disposal. Um, and, and, and I think one of them is like, you know, I'm, I'm actually pretty public about this. Um, I've been sober for about five years, but there's the saying in sobriety, which is like one day at a time. Like we're, we're in like really unprecedented time. And my wife and I have talked a lot about this as it relates to her business is like, you know, there's only so much information that we have right now in this moment. And so we need to make the decision, you know, or you all have to make the best decision right now with the best information that you have, whether it's revenue or traffic or, you know, expense data, whatever those drivers are in your business, like, you know, and then as I worked with one of, one of my clients was saying, like, I can't see through the fog, like it's really hard. And we actually spent a lot of time in the session, like first going into like, what's that feel like to, to be in the fog and that uncertainty. But then like, I'm a huge Andy Grove fan. And it's actually why I create, I, I named my, my coaching um, boutique coaching firm um, high, high output is because, you know, Andy Grove talks about cutting holes into the machine and being able to see like leading indicators. And so, you know, I always encourage you to look at what are those leading indicators and those KPIs in your business that can start to tip off certain things that are happening. And so um, really taking it one day at a time is like one of those things. But like at the end of the day, like getting to getting to 12 to 18 months of runway, if, if you already haven't raised is like, I think 12 months is what, what I'm hearing from every smart person that's smarter than me in terms of where you need to be because the rest of this year is going to be very difficult you know even if they put money into the hands of americans which it sounds like that's going to happen like if we can't leave the house right like it's still going to have ripple effects so when we go back you know when we start walking around the city and you have you know, I, my wife said today that already um one out of ten small businesses have already gone under through this and so we have to imagine that that number is going to be more. So when we get back on into the community and the streets, like, you know, it's, it's going to be a different reality. It's going to be a new normal. And so what are all the things that you can do to prepare? Now I've taken a few, I'm, I, I, I've put some hours, some coaching hours on a platform called super peer. Um, and, uh, I've dropped my rate pretty extensively so I can start to, and I'm going to, can, I'm going to drop them even more. Um, it's superpeer.com slash laugh. Um, but I'm basically going to drop it to near zero, um, because I want to be able to serve and support uh, entrepreneurs going through it right now, but also those that are starting to think about creating new companies. And one of the things that, um, you know, it, I think in this market, unless the team is incredibly credible or there's real traction, I think it's going to be tough to get funding, seed funding, because I think everyone's tightening their belts. And that doesn't mean that you're like, there's no capital, but I think what we're about to witness is an experience, uh, a period where it was really easy or it was, I wouldn't say really easy because it never is easy to go and start a company, but it was easier than um, previous times to start a company, both from a technological standpoint, but also an abundance of capital. And because 
that's going to, the, the capital is going to dry up and there's going to be less opportunities. What I think is going to happen is it's going to weed out certain entrepreneurs that aren't really in it for the mission and the, the, the belief that what they're building has to exist in the world. And so in some ways, I think we're going to see, um, you know, it's very Darwinian of me, but like a weeding out of, you know, of entrepreneurs that kind of were just in it because it was like the time and it was like cool to be an entrepreneur and it's hot. Now, you know, I think what you're going to see is the level of entrepreneurs. There's going to be fewer companies pitching, but I, I do think the ones that decide to go this path are going to be, it's going to be higher quality entrepreneur. Yeah. Sorry, I, I'm sort of rambling, but those are some of my, my, uh, my, my thoughts on it. It's an important message, um, and yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing the the perspective from from both sides. Uh, I think it's important to recognize the seriousness, but also um, to make it actionable. Right? What are the key drivers in your business, and what steps do you need to take today that you're in a position to weather the storm in terms of runway, in terms of understanding, you know, where your revenue is going to be coming from. Um, I want to hand things over to the audience. Well, I know well, we got well, go one, ahead. Yeah. One, one last point that I think is yeah. important. Um, you know, one of my companies basically cut the, 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 the bottom third performing. Um, they're just like, we're not going to survive. We basically have to get to break even to, to basically weather the storm and we're going to be stronger as a result, but we're just going to, so I've seen companies do everything from cut the, the bottom, like 20 to 30%. Um, I've seen companies already, um, actually take pay cuts across the board so that they can keep the team and nobody has to get laid off. Um, I've seen companies literally fire everyone, but the executive team, um, and lay off. I've seen, like, no one's traveling. So T and E is basically dried up, but just like really through it, like, a, a like trying to renegotiate contracts, right? Not paying like critical payables, like literally like, you know, obviously trying to collect on receivables. Like there's a lot of tools in order to play with cash, but like now's the time to be looking at all those levers to figure out what, what, what it is that you can pull. I mean, I mean, I think pretty much everybody's been focused on this for the last two weeks. Yeah. And all the options are on the table. Um, yeah. So let's, let's hand it over to uh, audience. I know we got some hands up. I'll go in order raised. Um, so I'll start with uh, Steve Dean. Um, Steve, you should be able to unmute yourself and ask your question. All right, awesome. How's my uh, volume right now? You're, you're great. Here, you're great. Excellent. Um, so I guess my first question is, as far as your thinking with your fund, um, given that you sound you sounded like you're thinking there's going to be a big contraction, uh, there's going to be a lot more prudence with where investors put their money. What is it that you're most excited about right now? I know you mentioned the kinds of founders and the kind of project in general, but are there any areas that you're super super like bullish on right now in light of potentially seeing people stay home for like, the next foreseeable like, future? So I was like, where yeah. is the innovation going to be happening? Yeah, I'm curious what, what your personal perspective is and like what you'd be most excited to see happen in the world, given that we are facing a time when anything could happen. Like there's a lot of space for innovation. You take like 100 million people, tell them to go home and 
don't do anything, they're going to get creative. So I'm curious, just like where, what would make you happiest to see come about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, listen, I, even though I am an investor, I don't pretend to have a crystal ball. It's actually why I've, I've been historic, historically a, um, Historically, I have been a generalist investor is because I, I'm not smart. I don't pretend to be smart enough to know where the world is, where it's going. Um, now, that said, I do think that there are a number of incredibly interesting opportunities um, that are emerging, right? And so um, I think... Like we're clearly seeing, uh, and, and telehealth isn't anything that's new, um, but I think if you, um, uh, I think investors had soured on telehealth for a really long time. Um, and a few, I think that like what I like to look at is like, what are the tailwinds? Like clearly COVID, but also um, the Trump administration announced last week that they are basically dropping the state-by-state state licensing requirement for uh, patients to be seen um, through telehealth. So um, historically, um, if you lived in Connecticut, you would have to be seen by a doctor, even if it was over the web, by a doctor in, in Connecticut. So that that now, now you could be seen by a doctor in California. So I think that is going to be a really major factor. So I think that's that's certainly one um, I think remote, like we're seeing like the importance of like remote diagnostics. And so, you know, I don't know what that looks like, but certainly like things like Everly Well, like at home kits for testing and other like biometric tools to be able to start to um, tip off whether like how our health is like the other day I'm, I'm, I'm not just saying this like I, I actually tweeted about it. I almost had a full-blown anxiety attack and my heart rate went up to 120 beats per minute which is like you know for me I, I wear my Apple watch like I'm a pretty healthy guy like when I'm on my bike and I'm going hard, I'm like 150 to 100. And my I threw on my Apple Watch and I was like, wow, my my heart rate is abnormally high. My average is under under 60 beats per minute. And so I've heard stories of people wearing like an Aura ring that like tipped off that their that their temperature was increasing. So I think like you know, how do we like, like, how do we monitor our health in a smarter way, I think is going to continue to be interesting. Um, certainly, the one that I'm really excited about is online education. Um, I think that we are now about to see like, I think for the longest time, online education has been one of these things that a lot of people have talked about. And sure, there's like Coursera, but like, I think, we're going to start to see more people thinking about homeschool, online education. Um, you know, obviously there's going to be an explosion of remote work tools. One of the things that I do think will come of this is a lot more companies are going to have flexible work arrangements. And so this is obviously going to, um, it's going to increase work from home. And so I think more companies are going to start to adopt policies that allow people to work remotely. And so um, I think there's going to be some explosion happening. Like clearly we're doing this over Zoom. Zoom isn't anything new, but I think the, the most exciting thing about this is that um, 
you know, now that everybody's experiencing this and everyone's like, what, like we're going to see a ton of innovation around video streaming and collaboration and social communities coming online. So I'd say I, I would expect to see an explosion in the next call it three to six months. I would say even sooner, I would say in the next month or so, and, and maybe even weeks because I'm sure teams are working night and day to push things out um, that are leveraging video and a range of communities. And um, so I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see like Zoom um, show up, but Zoom is sort of like a general purpose platform where you start to see more like vertical and sort of niche type of applications that don't aren't built on zoom but are built on other protocols like daily.co which are other they're basically like you know an api to build video streaming apps um you know certainly things like creator tools like people are going to be really creative in this time so things like super peer that allow you know people to monetize their time and expertise through video calls i think that i i i had made that angel investment actually before this happened um which is, um, but I think products like Superpeer uh, are going to be really important. And then I think the other is around um, is around like audio. I think you know in terms of creating audio content, and certainly you know we all have these in our our ears. Um, I think like tools for like hands-free hardware. So like when we all go back, like are we all going to want to sign the square reader of the square payments with our finger? We're going to want to open the doors. Um, so I think like hands-free hardware and then also audio. I think like, you know, I think some of this is already happening in China and in other parts of the world. But like, I think I would see um, definitely an acceleration of voice commands and things like that. Um and, um, there, you know, there, there's a bunch, like, I think, uh, what we're seeing is small businesses are going to get crushed through this, unfortunately. And I think there's going to be new financial products that emerge. I would imagine that a new kind of Kickstarter, um, if it's not already in works, it will emerge that will help small businesses be able to fundraise through their communities to save really important institutions, um, so like I know one that just launched in New York called Main Street um, and that allows people to buy gift cards uh, on behalf of businesses. But there's so many ideas. Like I actually tweeted out last week, I'll, dro I'll drop it in about, I was joking, I was half joking, half serious in terms I, you know, I said coronafund.vc is available. Uh, you should go buy it. But it's like, we invest in all these areas. And there's, I, I think I had something like 75 different comments in that thread of just different ideas. Um, so, so I guess what I'm trying to say in all this is that there, there, I think there's going to be an explosion of innovation and it's impossible for me to like really predict, but I think those are some of the, the tailwinds and some areas that I sense will be ripe for, for some innovation. And obviously there'll be things that, you know, none of us can predict and where it will come from. Um, you know, the thing that I find most fascinating about the web is that the innovation always comes in like the most unexpected places, whether it's, you know, on the campus of Harvard with, you know, Facebook or even Bitcoin that literally just sort of vanished out of or, or, or was was born out of thin air. Um, so, 
I guess the reason why I bring that up is it's, it's again, I, I'm not going to try to predict, but I, it's fun to think about all the different ways that the world is going to change as a result of this. Thanks, Steve. That's great. Um, uh, Tyler, you're able to uh, talk if you want to, if you want to ask your question. Okay, great. Can you hear me? Yep. Loud and clear. Awesome. Well, first of all, just thank you, Steve. There's a lot of stuff happening right now to help different types of communities. And I haven't seen anything like this that's helping founders trying to figure out some of the, the difficult questions that we're facing. So really appreciate you taking the initiative and putting this together. Um, curious to dig in a little bit more on the funding and runway extension side and get your advice. And I'm sure it would be beneficial to other folks on the phone. So we are a company where we um, we've gotten our burn down significantly and we see a path to profitability, but we want to kind of go back to our VCs and our venture debt with SVB and kind of make the case with venture debt to give us some flexibility on the debt we're paying down. And then with the VC yep. to think about a cash infusion, like I was just curious to kind of pick your brain on if you were in my shoes, you know, how would you go about having that conversation? What I would say is, why don't you email me and we can have a call offline for 30 minutes? Okay. Um, because I think it would be, I, I think it, it I wouldn't, it, we wouldn't be doing that question justice by quickly answering that question. I think it's re probably requires a little bit of ninja work. Sounds great. I'll do that. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Melissa, do you have a question? Yeah, it actually is a, roughly the same as what the gentleman before me was. Okay, <laughs> so maybe we can like, maybe we maybe we can dive in. We can I can attempt to answer it at a high level. How does that sound? Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, so it, I mean a bit of details just for some context. I stretched my runway I haven't raised since a pre-seed in July 2018 and I was going to raise in October and then didn't and now I'm like oh excellent um <laughs> yeah. great this is so great I've been so frugal with my cash wonderful terrible um <laughs> so uh basically I'm just trying to determine I mean I think it's still strategically in my best interest to carry forward and do kick off the seed round I know that the stakes have changed I know that investors are nervous However, um, it, we have been able to maintain a lower valuation because we had such a low valuation that, that way back then uh, that I think that we would fit right in with going forward. I guess the specifics of the question is I had an angel deal on the table, like a super angel putting in six figures. And I don't even know if it's appropriate to go back and be like, hey, so are you still going to cut me that check? Because I've heard when, when, that, what, when did that happen? Um. We were in final diligence with Docs uh, probably two weeks ago because I fled San Francisco last week to Toronto. So it was, I think, the Monday or Friday before that that I sent a whole bunch of Docs. And I haven't even read Docs. I don't even know what to say. Okay. I think funds um, are okay because funds just raised a ton. But I, I've heard that Angel like individuals have like seen huge wipeouts of their portfolios and are probably... It, it yeah. depends on the kind of angel. For example, you know, I went and I raised a very small pool of capital, put a bunch of my own money in, but raised predominantly from friends and friends of friends. And there's a lot of people like me out there 
they tend to partner either together or with other with more traditional funds. And so I would say, I think it largely depends on the kind of angel, right? Mm -hmm. Like I would view like Ryan Hoover at weekend fund as an angel, even though he hasn't, he has a pool of capital. And so I would, I would encourage you if you don't know the source of the capital, you know, that, that might be something that can tip you off as to whether um, they, they might continue to have an appetite but I, I mean, I think at this point, the question is, is how bad do you need the cash? And, you know, is it, how, how do you think about, you know, reaching out to them? And, you know, it, it, well, I how would you all, feel if I can turn that around? How would you feel if a company that you were like in diligence with had, had their docs and then all of a sudden this just hit within a couple of days of getting all the docs, how would you feel if the founder reached out and was like, Hey, so we still doing that? <laughs> Well, I mean, here's what I would say. If the person committed to invest, you know, I think, you know, listen, there, there are going to be people that back out when in these kinds of times, but if they've committed to invest and you've spent the money and the time with the lawyers to draft the docs, I don't, I don't think it's unreasonable to reach out and say, Hey, listen, the docs are ready. Like, or or is this on now that said, if they were truly in diligence still, um, then I think that's a slightly different story. And I think the question, like what I've seen a number of entrepreneurs do, like there was, I talked to a company in London yesterday um, who pitched me, they'd raised 200 200 to 250 pre-seed round, literally like three to four months ago. And they are now sprinting to raise 400K that will get them 12 months. And they're just like, okay, we were going to go raise two to two and a half in three months. Fuck it. We're going to go, we're going to sprint. We're going to try to raise three to 400 and that will allow the team to survive and we'll continue to iterate on this. And so, you know, I think the question is, is how much do you need? And, you know, is this, is this angel still like, have they fully committed or, was it like, we're, we're doing our work, we'll get back to you. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, it doesn't hurt to check in and see where their head's at. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. Um, so we're, we're right about the one hour mark. So I'm going to, I'm going to wrap the uh, recorded version. Um, and I'm able to stick around for, for a few minutes if anyone wants to chat afterwards. I don't know if same, same for you, Steve. Same here. Yeah, same here. Cool. Cool. So, you know, for anyone, you know, watching this, um, we're going to put out this uh, recording later if you want to review anyone who wasn't able to make it today. Um, You know, Steve, if if anyone's interested in continuing the conversation, whether it's about, you know, investing or becoming a client, you know, what's what's the best way to get in touch? Um, You can um, find me at schlaff.me, though I just put up highoutput.co as like kind of like a splash page. So you can also check out highoutput.co. But you have to bear with me because I'm going to be iterating on that in the coming weeks. (laughs) Constant improvement. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you uh, attending the uh, first lunch hour. Um, so this is this is Chris Sparks on behalf of the Forcing Function. Uh, thank you so much, Steve, for, for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Forcing Function Hour. At Forcing Function, we teach performance architecture. We work with a select group of 12 executives and investors to teach them how to multiply their output, perform at their peak, and design a life of freedom and purpose. 
Make sure to subscribe to Forcing Function Hour for more great episodes, or go to forcingfunctionhour.com to sign up for our newsletter so you can join us live. <laughs>